Welcome to the Decrypt Podcast. On today's show, we are excited to have Inez Canova join us, who's a technical lead at a company called Nimble. Nimble simplifies clinical trial payments by providing fast and secure reimbursements to clinical trial participants. Inez got her start in tech as a co-founder and in that process realized that she wanted to become a front-end developer. In the episode, she talks a little bit about her journey from front-end to back-end developer to now serving as a team lead for her technical team. She talks about why security is so important to her personally and professionally, particularly because she's working in the payment space. Uh, They have to keep things like PCI DSS compliance in mind, as well as security when they're building out the software. So hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today on uh, the Decrypt podcast. Uh, We've got Inez here. Uh, Inez, uh, thank you so much for being here. Would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do? Thank you very much for your invitation. Uh, Yes, sure. So I'm Inez Kenova. And basically, currently, I'm technical team lead in our company called Nimble. Uh, I'm pretty new at this position. Uh, I always... um, like pronounced as a tech lead this January. So it's pretty new to me. Amazing. So you're new to being a tech lead, but you've been in development for a little while. Can you tell us about how you got into tech? So this is kind of a funny story because I've never wanted to be in tech. Uh, Like this was never my um, intention, right? Uh, I had a friend uh, who started a, a company a startup company. And because I was really interested in psychology back then, uh, he suggested why we do not start it together. And basically, I will be the person who's responsible to see if the people will be fit in our company and if they're going to feel well in the company. And he will be responsible for the technical part of, uh, of stuff in the interviews, during the interviews. I was uh, in these interviews, basically. And I was really annoyed that when he was asking them questions around uh, strings and big connotations and stuff, I do not understand what he was talking about. So that I didn't understand. So I decided to start learning programming so that I can understand a little bit better what we're talking about during interviews because I didn't realize um, that it's really hard actually <laughs> to be in tech. And there's a lot of knowledge that you have to gain. Uh, so I started learning programming back then um, and in a couple of months maybe probably a year after we have started uh, our front-end developer left uh, because of his personal reasons so my uh, my co-founder suggests me to be the front-end developer right because I was still learning stuff and concepts because I was pretty interested in what I've been learning so I started as a front-end developer Not a good one, if I have to be honest, because I was still learning concepts and stuff. So basically, this was my first job uh, working as a front-end developer. And after that, I've discovered that my passion is actually a back-end and a little bit part of a DevOps. So I transferred during the last few years uh, as a back-end developer. So you, you got into tech, you decided to start learning about 
um, you know, the strings and the arrays and the different things that you kind of started talking to your friend about. Um, what was like the first big development project that you worked on? Was it when you were working on the startup with him? So it was the main project that we were working on at that time. And it was related of, um, a bit of a data science project, which my, one of my best friends currently, uh, was working on the AI part and on the data science part in general, and also the backend. And I was the one who was involved in the front end part. It was a really great project where we were uh, taking data from the internet, basically scraping data. This data was transformed and then it was uh, showed in a really uh, nice way with graphics and tools that can visualize better uh, the engagement of the audience of different people. Uh, so it was really challenging for me, not because the project itself was that challenging. It's not like we are doing the chat GPT, right? But it was uh, really interesting for me because it was the first big project that was actually exposed to the world and people can see it. And a lot of the concepts that I have learned in programming started there uh, because when you had a problem, then you have to find a solution. And it's because it's a startup and there was really few people working in this startup. Basically, you are alone to solve problems, which uh, learns like you can learn a lot from that because you can learn how to find solutions, how to uh, decide if these solutions are actually the things that you're looking for, because there's so many information, um, so many people telling so different information in the Internet. So you cannot be sure what exact approach you have to take and which one is the best one for your current situation. So this was a bit challenging just because this, this thing exactly uh, showed me that it's going to happen with me in tech because I was there. I was really affected sometimes. I felt really bad because I couldn't solve problems with days, like mm, days and days. Yeah. But I, like, I was there and I did not quit, which I think is the first sign that showed me that I could be something and something useful in the tech. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that a lot from people starting out in programming. And I had a similar experience where, like, when I started out, I had a good number of people that I could turn to to ask questions from. But I was honestly so nervous to ask a lot of questions. Um, I was so worried about, you know, asking a question that didn't seem like smart. And, uh, and I think there were definitely times when I maybe spent a little bit too much time trying to like rock it on my own. And so that's like one of the number one pieces of advice I give people now is like, just ask for help sooner than you think you'll need to. Um, but I also think there's a lot of value in, in working at it yourself and trying to come to that conclusion, because that's a big part of the learning process too, right? It's just kind of like banging your head against the wall until you figure out the one thing that actually makes sense. Exactly. And I think the chances that you're going to hit the same problem and solve it from the first second you see it are increasing right now, because if someone actually points exactly the point where it's wrong, the chances are if you have similar simula uh, situation, but with different context, you won't be able directly to go into it and recognize that it's the same pattern, right? But if mm -hmm. you have solved it by your own, that is making really strong connections in your brain, let's say your connections in mm -hmm. your brain, right? Which actually helps you uh, help you recognize another 
pattern of the same kind really quickly and solve it really quickly. So as you said, yes, sometimes it's really seems like a waste of time, but most of the times helping the person itself to actually grow and really start being productive in the next couple of months. Yeah, I guess in that same sort of problem solving uh, area, I'm curious to know what is the hardest problem you've ever had to solve or the hardest challenge that you've ever come up against in your tech career? Um, this is really funny because I think of my career as um, different parts, different chunks, right? And the first chunks when I started learning programming, the greatest challenge was a recursion, right? I did not do yeah. that. <laughs> You know, it was so many, like so many days I have spent trying to understand why I need to do it this way, when I need to do it this way, when it's uh, convenient to do it and when it's actually a waste of memory and efficiency of, of the mm -hmm. program. So um depends. On, and now it seems really funny, right? Um So I cannot exactly say what was the biggest challenge. Probably from my new perspective as a technical lead, which as well has some management in it, is probably to allocate tasks to specific people and explaining really well, clear and articulated what mm -hmm. exactly is required from the ticket and making sure that these people as well understand what you think you have said. Because these right. are two different things, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so I think I'm still learning that. Uh, and I think that will have a great benefit in my personal life as well, not only in my uh, working life, to um, accept that every person is different, right? And every person yep. hears different things according to their previous background. Mm -hmm. And they're shaping stuff according to what they have think and they understood and their actual background. So this is the greatest challenge that I'm still solving right now, even though it's not technical because the technical, um, I have a lot of mentors in, in, in my working career right now, um, which I can go and talk to. So even if something that I'm not really aware how it should be done, or I have some doubts, I can go and talk to them. And it's not already that much of a challenge for me. Um, especially the last few years, but from different side of like different perspective, like the management perspective, it's mm -hmm. really hard for me. Probably a manager, for example, a manager from 10 years now, they will be laughing at us, right? Because yeah. <laughs> the recursion for them, but for me, it's still uh, a challenge. So I'm still learning there. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can totally relate. I When I finally figured out how recursion worked, I remember using it constantly. I would use it in places where, like you were saying, it was like just totally unnecessary or like using up loads of memory, but I was just so excited that I understood how it worked. <laughs> I way overdid it, but I think that's one of the one of the exciting things about learning, right? Is like when something clicks, then you're suddenly like, thinking of all these different ways that you can use it. Um, and then, you know, as you mature a little bit, you're like, okay, maybe I don't need to use this every single time. <laughs> and then when you learn about golden hammer pattern, when <laughs> you have a hammer, not everything is something that you can use it on, right? <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> yeah. And it is, it's so fascinating to think about like what those problems 
um, will be coming down the line, right? Like we were talking a little bit about AI uh, before we we started this conversation, but it, it's kind of amazing to wonder and think about what like the programmers in the next decade um, will be using as compared to um, to what we learned. But I also think that fundamentals are really important. Um, like just as exciting as like new frontiers and new tooling is, I think that some of those like fundamentals like really matter as well. Um, so yeah, I'm curious for you, like, is there any, like, since you kind of came from this, this um, maybe like, I guess people call it like non-traditional background, which I do as well. Like I, I didn't get a CS degree or anything, but um, was there anything that you had to to do yourself like on the side or any like supplemental like learning that you did that, that helped you get to where you are today? Oh, there was constant learning. Um, it was like uh, I hadn't had the concept before of work-life balance because everything was work for me. I hope, like, I'm pretty happy right now that it's not the case, but previously it was the case. There was no Saturday and Sunday that I haven't worked. There was no evening after work that I haven't worked as well. Um, it was really, really interesting because if I have, let's say, one working place, I'm at least working at two other places, right? One after the uh, after my regular work, working time and one um, in on the weekends, right? And this has uh, taught me a lot because um, I had to do so many different things in so many different projects that I had to do it. I just had to do it, right? And I just had to read and just had to go through courses, multiple courses. I had to go through multiple articles, ask a lot, a lot of stupid questions on the internet <laughs> and people answering them, uh, bothering my husband constantly with questions because he... he before he started his own company, he was really great developer on his own and CTO of a big company here in, in our country. So basically constantly bothering him. He was uh, sick and tired of me constantly asking development questions because all day long people are asking him this, right? And at the end, I again start asking him this. So this was my approach, actually. Never stop working until I felt a little bit more comfortable until I realized that I'm doing um, heavy tasks in no time and actually with um, good quality and good performance metrics after we release them on production and I see they're actually working and we do not discover any major stuff that could be bothering us. So that is when I have decided I can take a little bit of a rest <laughs> and I can start actually learning for the management perspective. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. I feel like that's such a big question that a lot of people come up uh, to in their career, like whether they want to stay on the individual contributor path or they want to transition into the managerial path or maybe they, they do one for a little while and then they switch and then they go back. What was it that made you decide you wanted to explore the management path? So... This is a really interesting question because I, uh, as I shared, I'm just uh, some kind of a lead from two, two months now, officially, right? <laughs> so basically, I don't know a lot of stuff and I cannot be sure that in the next six months, I won't change my mind. But uh, I feel like it's um, something in, in my 
nature in general that I like to talk to people and I like to take decisions together and I like challenges in general. So when someone comes to me with an actual coding problem, um, most of the time I'm really able to resolve it. Doesn't matter it's it's in my field, like the backend field, or it's it on the front-end field, or it's on the DevOps field. Not that we have a need to resolve any DevOps problems <laughs> currently, but basically. So uh, that is why I've decided this is the right track because I've been teaching a couple of years from now as well in in um, here in institution here in Bulgaria. So this teaching actually helped me to be really passionate and understanding what exactly people need because sometimes they express something that is not the actual problem but mm -hmm. how to talk to people how to understand the actual problem and this is just just the new challenge so how do i know i know because this is something that i've always like I always felt that is going to be this way, that is right. going to be working with people at the end, helping mm -hmm. it, helping them with, with the tech perspective of the sites. I know a lot of people which are overwhelmed with meetings uh, and that is mm -hmm. why they choose to return back to uh, just a normal coding job, right? And with no manager responsibilities. I think that could be managed. And I think that the meetings are something that the organization in general, uh, could control, right? Yeah. And basically could, could decide as a problem. Sometimes, yes, I know there are emergency situation, situations that require people to be there and people talking. But if there is just a constant needless meetings, people can initiate that process of actually reducing them. And it's not going to happen for a month or two or two. But I think with the right approach, people can reduce that. And if this is the only reason for people to quit the managing side perspective of things, this is something that could be resolvable. There's another aspect of this, which most of the people consider themselves as introverts. And they say they prefer to work alone without any unnecessary communication to other coworkers or to clients even. So this is something that is internal and I don't think this is a bad thing. It's just very, very great and very admirable that the people know themselves and the mm -hmm. actual other part is really great for them and they feel happy. So they're more productive at work. So mm -hmm. I think that's fine as well, but everyone should try it because you don't have a way of knowing what exactly you like if you don't try it. And if you don't try to change what you don't like, and if that failed, mm -hmm. you can go back each time <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. i it's funny whenever i speak with people that are really early in career another thing that i see a lot and i guess i experienced myself to an extent is this need to know exactly what you want to do and like oh if i choose this then i have to do it forever and i really think that you know, obviously we, we never know what life's going to throw at us, but a lot of us will have many years to try different things and like figure out what we like and what we don't like and, and what works and what doesn't work. And so I totally agree with you that I think it's, it's important to just try something. And then again, if you just want to go back to what you were doing before, it's always going to be there. I'm, um, I'm curious, uh, you know, you mentioned that you're back-end developer and i'm wondering what programming language was your first programming language and then uh what language you currently work in or languages you currently work in 
<laughs> so I started learning in Java, which is funny because after I have learned a couple of concepts in Java, I've never go back uh, into Java, not because I don't like it, but because I hadn't had the chance to actually work with Java. Uh, so my second language was C Sharp. Uh, and then I transferred to Python and never looked back. <laughs> So basically, currently it's Python, and I'm planning, hopefully, that I will continue developing with Python. This is this is the language I feel like home. Um, and I, I I completely agree. And it's funny because you know I feel like JavaScript is so um, it's so versatile. It's a great language, you know. And I think I reached a point in my career where I realized that I needed to know JavaScript better than I did, and and I kind of made it a priority to get better at it. But Whenever I have to like spin up a quick demo or something, I always do it in Python first, always. It's funny because uh, from my front end experience, of course, I had to have this JavaScript and TypeScript experience. And I still, uh, even though that was my first working language, when I started working, I actually started working with Angular directly, which enforces uh, TypeScript. So basically I started with this, but it's still, if I need to do something, I will always do it in Python, even though the JavaScript was the first one that I have started working on. So yes, <laughs> I really agree with you. Every demo, every explanation will be on Python. Yeah, I think I noticed um, also that you actually do some teaching as well. Is that right? Yes, yes. Uh, so I teach Python. Uh, these are general programming concepts like um, data structures, algorithms, and frameworks at the end, um, because this is a school for programming, basically. And this school has a couple of different main languages that they teach. One of the main languages is Python, and there is a whole process of actually learning Python. The people there are learning something around year and a half, maybe two, uh, for web development. There is AI as well, but I'm not involved there. <laughs> so basically, we're just uh, at the end, we're teaching as well a framework, and currently I'm teaching Flask, there is Django, and I have a course uh, for fast API as well, but everything, everything is Python. <laughs> nice. <Only> is there any question that you feel like comes up really often when you're teaching, like one that you hear students ask kind of like over and over? So I have noticed a couple of uh, main problems that people hit. The first one is the while for loop. Interestingly enough, when they first start learning programming, they're not that overwhelmed with the for loop, but they're really overwhelmed with the while loop. So this is the first breaking point for them. They get into the that second, endless loop. Uh, yes, of course. They're always uh, someone who is actually in uh, infinite loop. Uh, that, that's uh, that's the first thing that I'm showing so that they know what's happening, right? Because if you don't know much about programming, how you would know that you're in an infinite loop unless you wait for a bit longer and see your terminal is saying that. But people as well tend not to read the terminal. This is the, something really interesting because at the beginning, I think there is a, a scary feeling inside them when an error occurred on, over the terminal because it's red and it's big and it, there's so much stuck in, in this error. So it's uh, they get overwhelmed with the time they learn and they feel more comfortable, of course. The second thing is lists uh, and more like a concept arrays because yes, in Python, we don't have a built-in array directly, mm -hmm. 
But as well, we need to understand what's the difference between, between list and arrays. So I think array is a concept as well, which is a breaking point. And of course, object-oriented programming. This, right. uh, yes, this is a concept which totally requires you to switch of your way of thinking and mm -hmm. writing code so far and everything that you have learned with the new syntax. So I really, uh, I'm really uh, happy to show each time on my, like, there's no lecture when I do not show debugging. And basically, I think this really helping people understand concepts because when you debug, yeah. you understand how the code is working and you learn actually how to talk to this code because this is, again, a great problem. People think they say and write some code, but actually it's not exactly what they think, right? It's something else. And they cannot see the difference between what they think they are and what mm. actually they have said and written. Uh, so this is an interesting uh, breaking point. And then uh, we have, of course, the resistance against the database itself because it's mm. a concept, but I think this is the more critical points. And the question that often comes up um, is, how do I know I should stay? How do I know I should stay? It's so much harder mm. for me. I see other people just flying around, just uh, learning new concepts without a problem. And this is really hard because I can relate so much to these people. I was there mm -hmm. and I was crying constantly for six months when I started learning programming because I felt so dumb, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm trying to explain to them. I even wrote uh, some really small book of 25 pages for my experience just to show them that even though I'm here teaching now, I was so dumb. And I always say to people with a new concept, I'm so dumb, right? If, if I change the field, right? If I go to a different field, I'll be the worst person there. But over the time, yeah. this is my quality. I just get one of the best. So this is the thing I try to, to teach them because the questions are always related to the hard points. How do mm -hmm. I know when I uh, will go index out the French exception or something like this, right? But these are more related to the program. The constant question that I'm getting is how do I know I do not quit? How do I know I do not quit? Uh, and often with this, I'm asking about their motivation to enter yeah. because I think this is the important thing. And I think this is the key uh, to their answer. If they have to quit or they actually have to try. And yes, I know this is not exactly the tech related question, but it is the truth. And mm -hmm. what is what I'm seeing years and years now of teaching. This question constantly continues uh, to repeat itself. Every course, every time, every module, almost every student. <laughs> yeah, and it makes sense because I think that, you know, there, I guess there's like two, two thoughts that I have around this. Like the first is that um, there's a lot of different aspects of tech, right? There's like a lot of different things that you can do. Maybe you end up really loving design. You know, you want to be like a product engineer. You, you want to do like more of the front end stuff. Maybe you love doing the back end stuff and you feel really comfortable there. Maybe you end up, you know, becoming like a demo engineer or working on documentation. And um, I feel like learning to code just opens up like so many doors for people. Um, but when you're starting out, you don't always realize like they're there are a lot of different directions that you can go and it doesn't have to like 
look this one certain way. Um, Cause I definitely also have like worked with some like just incredible, like amazing engineers. And I would like look at what they were doing and be like, Oh my gosh, I just, I can't pick up stuff as fast as them. I can't do what they do. And like, I got to a point where it was like, Oh, that's actually okay. That's, that's amazing that they're doing that, but it doesn't mean that I have to do that same thing. There's still like a place for me here. Um, but I also think, you know, it does take a little bit of grit and a little bit of determination and kind of deciding, like, even when this gets hard, I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to like get back up when I get knocked down. Um, as like kind of dramatic as that seems, there are just those moments where it's really hard. Yes, I totally agree with you. Um, it is hard and it will um, always will be with the new challenges. I think the only thing that I'm most proud of myself is that I'm okay with that right now, right? Uh, when I feel them, I'm okay with it and I start from there, right? And I start learning and this is not bothering me uh, anymore. And actually I get even excited. This is a Manhattan syndrome or something like this, you know, where you actually feel excited to feel them. <laughs> and useless on some place so you can actually learn something new. Um, going outside of your comfort zone is not pleasant for anyone, especially at the beginning. But after that, um, if you just think how much you can gain, it's it's totally worth it. Oh my gosh, I completely, completely agree. I think that, you know, before I came to Evervault, I frankly didn't have much experience in security or privacy but it's a space that i've been really interested in for a long time and um when the opportunity came up i was like okay let's do it and then i remember like the first week on the job being like what are any of these terms what is a confidential container in what is homomorphic encryption you know and it was like so overwhelming but uh but it's been so honestly thrilling to learn about these things. And um, I think it surprised me a lot too, because I had this perception of like the security space being very sort of um, like, I don't know, like hard to crack, like a little bit like, oh, like, you know, you're gatekeeper-y almost maybe. And um, I haven't found it to be that way at all. I think people are really excited to share what they know and um, really excited to get other people uh, into the industry. So I've been very pleasantly surprised by that. I think this is a general thing in, in uh, software industry that people are tend to um, like really truth and happy to share information. And this uh, we can find on the internet as well. So many uh, free resources that you can find, actually. And when I uh, talk to my friends that are working in different in different fields, for example, in, uh, I have a, a friend who is a doctor, and he said, "No, uh, people do not like to teach you. Like they are afraid that you're going to take their places after that if you become better than them." I don't think there is such a thing in in the tech industry, like. Of course, there are people who are afraid of that and do not want to share a lot of information, but most of them are actually doing it and teaching people and want them to be great. And they ha mm -hmm. they're happy when the person becomes even greater than the teacher, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the whole sort of like open source ethos and movement is really wonderful to see. I think there's like such a sort of like environment of like wanting to just move everything forward together. 
Um, and like doing that in a really like sort of like open and public way, that's been um, really, really nice to see as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I would be uh, totally uh, neglecting uh, <laughs> my my job if I didn't ask you just a little bit about like how you think about security um, you know, as a developer, like how you approach security when um, you're building, you know, what you work on in your day job or even when you work on things on the side as well. I'm not sure you're going to believe me, uh, but I'm like, I have dreams about security, right? Uh, I have dreams uh, where something could be hacked. I have dreams about if I have any doubts that I have visited some shady website without actually taking the, um, the the necessary measures to assure that this is not something that could steal my personal information or worse even. Uh, so basically I am taking it really seriously. One interesting thing is when I was in a big corporate, because uh, previously I have worked in a big uh, corporate corporation, let's say a big corporation, I didn't tend to um, value the security trainings that they were assigning to us. I was just like, okay, just another training that will waste my time instead of me going and doing my coding task, right? But uh, our company just recently got certified uh, for IZ27001, which is uh, the security certificate standard. And we have another one recently for ISO 9001. So yeah, we are quality <laughs> as well. <laughs> so basically, uh, when we started, I uh, became really passionate about security because it's one thing to actually just watch some trainings in a platform that they have assigned to you. It's another thing to audit the whole platform and see if there is any security mm -hmm. breaches that you can think of because I'm not a hacker, right? Uh, so I cannot assess if everything is directly secured, but at least according to the documentations and guidance and guidelines everywhere, monitoring your platforms, understanding if there is an authorized access, because some of the companies even cannot understand if mm -hmm. they have been gained privileges or something. Uh, and there's so many stuff that um, I'm learning right now, because as well, um, we started talking about PCI DSS compliant, where actually Everbolt comes into play a really serious role in our software. Uh, so I really as well like this part and encryption, and I started learning and reading about encryption. So everything that I do, my first question is, is that secure? Is that secure? And I'm like uh, just a security freak out there who's constantly asking, is this secure, guys? Are we sure this is something that we want to produce? <laughs> so um, I even implemented um, recently a CI step uh, where I'm auditing the packages, right, in the CI build of ours, where I'm actually yeah. can see all the third-party dependencies in the code. Uh, and there are third-party dependencies as well. If they're vulnerable, if they have no, of course, known vulnerabilities, not unknown, because I do not get to the dark web to ask these questions. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I'm just saying if there are any known vulnerabilities, constantly patching and trying mm -hmm. to patch everything. Now, when my Chrome browser says uh, needs to update, I'm constantly updating. It's like most of the people do not even bother to see that there is a prompt saying, please update Chrome or relaunch Chrome so that we can set some updates. My computer says there is a security update directly <laughs> install it without waiting. I could be uh, helpful in my task, really focused on something. If, that, if I have such notification for a new version of the software, 
either my phone or computer it's directly installed without any delay <laughs> so I could say I'm taking it pretty seriously and I'm really trying to learn and understand concept. I acknowledge how much I do not know and how much I have to learn. And even if I try to do it all my time, there will be always amazing people and hackers who will be doing, doing some really sophisticated hacking in no time. So I'm trying to uh, take it really seriously and I'm mm -hmm. doing my best, but I'm still learning, right? <laughs> But Ines, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for, you know, taking the time uh, to chat with us. And um, is there anything else you'd like to add or, or any, uh, any place people can find you online? Um, online, I am available on LinkedIn. Uh, so basically, it's Ines Kenova, uh, directly my name. You can find me on Facebook, even though I'm not going to reply because I'm trying not to go in there. <laughs> <laughs> I as well have an Instagram, which I don't use. So uh, basically the reliable source of truth will be uh, LinkedIn. Yes, there I can say I'm a little bit more active than everything else. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Decrypt. Be sure to check out our previous episode with Rob Picard from Vanta and make sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts. If you like the show, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also let us know what you think on our Twitter, LinkedIn, or you can join the Evervault Discord. See you next time. Decrypt.